took my brain out of the space of comparing and despairing and, and just celebrating and being present and being with my breath. And, you know, again, it sort of just snowballed from there. And in the last couple of years, I mean, I definitely there's something to be said for getting into your mid to late 30s and things change um, and you learn that what you once thought wasn't good enough you'll look back and be like god I would kill for that or look at my face then it's like if you don't stop and appreciate what you have now like it's going to be gone before you know it and then you're going to be back wishing that you had it You're listening to Rebel Heart Radio, hosted by nutritional therapist Cassie Knavel and professional esthetician and makeup artist Genevieve Blair. A lifestyle podcast about clean living, making money, and badass people that inspire us endlessly. We created this podcast to walk through the tough moments of life with you, inspire you to live more intentionally, and frankly, because we like to talk. Thanks for joining us today. Make sure to catch our weekly episode and subscribe to us anywhere you listen to podcasts. If you have iTunes, we would be forever grateful for your review on our podcast. Let's get to our latest episode. The materials and content within this podcast are for general information and educational purposes only and are not to be considered a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Welcome, everyone. We have a fantastic guest on our show today. And I, unfortunately, this is Genevieve, I didn't get a chance to be a part of this interview. And this bums me out to no end. But I guess the silver lining is, is that I did get to edit it. So I got to hear the conversation firsthand. <laughs> but I wanted to introduce you all to Beth Manosperky. She is the force and face behind Tasty Yummies, a top lifestyle destination for readers with a wide range of dietary challenges uh, who want you to feel good, take control of their health and want you to eat well. Bringing personal experience, knowledge, empathy, and humor to the goal of living and eating well, Beth is a firm believer in the power of food that heals. As an adventurer, an artist, a nutritional therapy practitioner, and a yoga instructor, Beth hopes to empower and inspire people to take control of their health and honor their individuality through food, movement, mindfulness, and wholehearted living. Explore her no-one-size-fits-all approach to nutrition and living well through her tasty recipes, simple kitchen how-tos, cooking videos, health and healing articles, and her podcast, Between Meals. She has this incredible resource. It is a free ebook called Keep It Simple Keto, your seven-day quick start guide to living a fabulous fat-fueled life without the BS. You can find that at tasty-yummies.com slash keto slash. I found listening to this episode so enlightening. It's such an easy, wonderful listen that I hope that you guys got to enjoy it too. I really enjoy Beth's outlook on life and eating and kind of her journey to finding yoga and really just, she is an incredible person to listen to because she's really been there. She's journeyed through it all. So enjoy the conversation. All right, lady. Well, I'm really happy to have you on the show. Let's welcome. I'm so happy to be here. Welcome Beth Manos Bricky, everybody. She's my fan girl. I'm fan girl over her in so many ways. Um, but I think you know I've been following your work for years, like since oh my gosh, early early days with the blogging. And I always thought to myself, Cassie, if you ever make yourself into a blogger, 
you need to talk to Beth about how to do Aww. this. Cause I would have talked to you without you being a blog. Oh, so I know. You know. I don't. Well, and that wasn't like the caveat to get to have a conversation yeah. with you, but, uh, you know, we ran into each other at, you know, a, a dinner when, uh, during the NTA conference last year yeah. and you are the exact same person in person as you are on the freaking interwebs. And that's, I feel like that's so rare to find and, um, just really enjoyed talking to you. So ever since then, it's been like, I'm even more fangirled from that point. Aww. So, but your food, that's like your food blog is like my go-to place. It's really is for like healthy recipes. And I was watching your Instagram stories today when you were going over all of your Thanksgiving recipe roundups. And I was just like, holy shit, this is so (laughs) much work and so many recipes. Um, so much stuff. The the resources are amazing. And this is going to launch after like the Thanksgiving holiday. But like people, if you need some Christmas recipes. Yeah. Go to Tasty Or tasty just do yummies. Thanksgiving in December. Yeah, sure. Yeah, it's that. cool. It's cool. So <laughs> so what's up with you lately, my dear? Uh, well, if you've been following along in my stories, you know that we have a new <laughs> furry addition to our family. That's what's really been up. That's sort of like top of the mind, everything going on in our world. We took in a little foster baby from the fires up in L.A., Um, they were, they put a big call out for foster families because there was just a ton of displaced animals. I mean, not just, I was going to say dogs, but like dogs and cats, horses and horses and pigs and llamas and like every animal you could, it's like Noah's Ark happened and they're looking for homes for so many of them. And because so many shelters were, uh, evacuated because of the fires in the fire zones, they had to move those animals out and then they were taking in animals from displaced families who evacuated and lost their homes. And so there's just more animals than there's room for. And so we, for the first time ever, I've never even applied to be a foster because I knew what would happen if I applied to foster because we're such animal lovers. Is it happening? Oh, it happened. I had a love at first sight moment with this dog. So I have been telling my husband, we have a dog already. We have Sari, a miniature bull terrier, and we have two cats. And I love my cats, but they both kind of came into our life accidentally because we're animal lovers. But I'm not a cat person. Like, I've never grow, I didn't grow up with cats. So we've jokingly said for the last couple of years, as our cats are getting older, like, when one of the cats passes, like, that's when we'll get the second dog. And I've told my husband, I've been line listing all of the things I want in a second dog. And I was like, he needs to have short legs. He needs to have wiry hair. (laughs) He needs to have a long body. He needs to look like he came out of a dumpster. Like, and so I've been saying like my dream dumpster dog is coming, but we don't know when. So we're at the parking lot of this uh, rescue center where they're holding foster, like a foster event. And we are waiting and waiting. They kept saying the dogs were coming. They're coming. We're like, okay, we waited like an hour and a half. And so like this one woman rolls up and everyone's there that has dogs with their dogs. So you can see how your dog will do with another animal that you're considering fostering. So this woman rolls up with her car, two dogs get out. One is this oversized, like mix chow thing, huge, totally shedding. I was like, okay. And then she's carrying this little wiry haired dog. And I was like, oh my God, Mark, that woman's dog is my dream dog like that is my dream dog and I was like she's so lucky and then someone's like that's a foster dog and I was like a psychotic woman I like <laughs> that is mine across the parking lot yeah I beeline I'm like that's my dog I was like is this dog for for up for foster They're like yeah and I scooped him in my arms and then I 
I literally started sobbing, like uncontrollably. Everybody was looking at me. I'm like, this is my dream dog. And then Mark's like, if we take that dog home, it's not leaving. I'm like, I know, but it might be somebody's dog. So let's just deal with this. And then we found out, this is a long story, but we found out that uh, he had actually been uh, rescued previous to the fires in the Malibu area was transferred to a shelter that then had to be evacuated. And so he was already up for adoption and they just needed to move him and then move him again. So he'd been through so much. He was picked up on the side of the road, like didn't belong to anybody, wasn't fixed, like nothing. And so he's like fallen in love with our dog and the cats love him. And we're just like, so this has been my whole week. It's Thursday now. We picked him up Sunday. I'm having such an unproductive week because I just want to lay on the couch with them and kiss them and love them. And <laughs> well, and just a bit making much. sure everybody's happy and getting along well. And it seems like that's okay. kind of natural anyway. So, yep, been taking walks. And so, yeah. Oh. So his name is Uncle Larry. I love that so much. <laughs> it just fits him because we decided we're like, he showed up before the holidays unannounced just wants to hang out on the couch and he has little judgy eyes and he just kind of sits there and takes it all in and we're just like he's an uncle larry that's his name (laughs) i actually have an uncle larry who no possibly fits that description (laughs) 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 that's amazing the moment you said that i was like you have no idea how much i get that oh that's amazing i've had a couple people write me they're like i have an uncle larry and that dog looks like uncle larry (laughs) oh my gosh i love it i love it so much that's like it's a huge adjustment adjustment in your your family situation you know to have another pet jump into the to the mix so we couldn't have asked for it to go any better though like i i admitted to my husband like when we got in the car to go up to la i was like whatever dog we take in we are not keeping we are not keeping a dog we are not keeping a dog because i kept imagining like Unfortunately, a lot of shelter dogs are like they're there because they seemingly misbehaved to some, you know, human that couldn't handle it. And they have behavior problems because nobody's ever dealt with them. And so I had this vision of like this medium to large size dog that neither of us really could handle slash wanted to deal with. But we were doing the good and right thing by taking a dog in and we would be counting down the days until we gave him back or had to adopt him out. And so like I had one scenario worked out in my head of like how this was going to go down and like this wiry little nugget that is so sweet and all he wants to do is cuddle all day is not it's not what I signed up for. It's not what I planned for. So <laughs> I feel like I'm the foster failure, but you know, do what you can. I, you know, if it, if it fits, it fits. And that's just, it's, it's it a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful mm-hmm. thing. Oh, I love that story. I've been watching your Instagram stories and just being like, and you didn't say anything initially about like adopting the dog, but I was like, she's adopting that dog. I know what's happening. <laughs> oh, I started getting like so many, everybody was like, what's happening? What is his family looking for him? And I was like, okay, I need to address this because everyone's like, you're keeping him. What's going on? Like, what's his name? I'm like, we don't have a name and we don't know what's going on. We didn't know for the first day and a half like even if he belonged to a family we didn't know anything about him because it's such chaos up there and the rescue organizations just trying to save dogs from getting euthanized like they just want to make sure that they're safe and so they're just like here can you take care of this animal yes okay great contact me tomorrow (laughs) we'll fill out the paperwork later let's just take care of this thing well and the fires like add such a level of urgency to everything too i know we had a pretty massive actually human caused fire um out in the gorge last year 
and uh, it, I mean, just ripped through tons of farmland. And you just don't think about that until it's an issue. But there were so many people who were having to rescue horses and pigs and chickens and all sorts of things. So it was, uh, you know, just one of those things that, you know, we all think about humans being displaced, but our furry friends are too, and they need help and support. So. And you don't think about like LA as being this place that there's like, you know, because it happened in the rural parts of LA, like in the hills and in Ventura and Malibu, it's like, you don't really think about like all of these farms and horses and llamas. And there was a giraffe that nobody knew. Like there was all this stuff going on that like people don't, you're right. You don't think about it at all. You're just like people and houses and well, girl, it's crazy. That's so you you're like, Mm -hmm just so sweet i love that well tell it like for those of well whoever is crazy enough to not know what beth is up to and what she's doing like go follow her tasty yummies on instagram but tell us more about yourself and like your health journey i love i love your story so much Mm. um well it's a long one so i'm trying to figure out like the highlights the the long of the short of it is is i struggled for most of my life at least from the time i was a toddler on with pretty severe I mean not severe I was never hospitalized you know I I caution using that word but it was ongoing I guess we should say and so I I struggled with immune dysfunction my whole life I was the kid when anything would come through any cold or flu I would get it and I would get it twice and it would stick around for two months and my sisters would be completely fine and then I would get bronchitis and upper respiratory infections and sinus infections and it was just constant and what do you do when you're sick and you're a teen or a kid or a tot they just throw antibiotics at you and I couldn't even begin to fathom how many rounds of antibiotics I've taken in my life and then you know you get a little older you get preteen and you get acne and what do they tell you antibiotics and so it was like more antibiotics on top of it and then classic textbook story then what happened next is I got into my late teens and 20s and just chronic digestive issues I mean debilitating at times and nobody could tell me what was wrong and we would test for this we would test for that and IBS and oh you're just it's stress I mean it was just the classic story of like my stomach hurts all the time and they're just telling me to keep a food journal and I don't know what to tell you um, so that was just kind of like the majority of my <laughs> early, t- you know, l- up until my late twenties, mid to late twenties. Um, and then fortunately, fortunately we have a very close family friend who is a chiropractor in the Colorado, in the Loveland area of Colorado. And she practices holistic, you know, a holistic approach to health and wellness. And so she kind of after I just had been through the ringer and through so many illnesses and this digestive dysfunction was going on, she suggested I did a 30-day elimination diet. First person that ever suggested something of that nature to me. And she put me through the 30-day, we were calling it a cleanse because on top of this elimination of all of these common trigger foods, we also then added in like, there was like some sort of like detoxifying cleansing powder or something, I don't remember. Um, and that's how I discovered in 2005 that I was severely intolerant to gluten, highly reactive. I had no idea because as we know now, it's like your body just builds up a tolerance to it as a protection mechanism. And I'd just been eating it like we all do. And after I cleansed it out of my system and reintroduced it, I was sick. Like I'd never felt before. And I was like, wow, like this is just something I was doing to myself every day. And I had no idea. Uh, so I, of course, immediately, well, first I went through a period of like mourning slash like this isn't true. And I tested it for like two weeks. Of course. And sick 
all the time. Oh. Cause I'm like, what's well, it's not gluten. It's just cause I didn't eat any of this stuff for two weeks or 30 days. It was not true. It was, I was very, very real. I could tell so, you like if I had how many clients said to me, you gave me a gluten intolerance because you pull it out and then they realize they're reacting to it. And I'm like, yeah, no, that's been there the whole time. <laughs> yep. Your body just was protecting you. Yep. <laughs> doing what it does. Yeah, I was I was like in full denial. And then when I kind of came to grips with it, that was it. So that was 2005. I completely cut out gluten 100%. Um, and it was 2005, so you couldn't just go to like Whole Foods and get gluten-free. Like we lived in upstate New York at the time. We had a Wegmans. Like the best thing I could find was soy flour and rice flour. And those suck a lot. Um, so it was, I actually feel very grateful now looking back that my first step into this world was like a sink or swim situation. Like I didn't have access to every processed gluten-free food and bread. It, it didn't exist. So I just learned to embrace the foods that I could have and learned to just move past the things I couldn't. And so I feel very fortunate that that was how I learned to navigate this world. And I learned how to just cook real food. And um, so that was 2005. And then over the course of about five years... That's when foods of convenience in the gluten-free world started to pop up. And I admittedly felt very deprived. Like I hadn't had pizza and cookies and breads and muffins. And so they all came into the world and into the grocery store. And I'm like, I want that and I want that. And then over the course of about five years, my health started to deteriorate again. And while going gluten-free really drastically changed my digestion, it wasn't 100%. And so over the five years as convenience foods and processed foods crept into my life and gluten-free this and gluten-free that, I started to get sicker again and I started to have migraines and the acne worsened and the immune system stuff was still going on. And I had my 30th birthday and I showed up to the birthday party. It was a surprise party that my husband threw for me and I walked in the room and everyone was there. And I just remember thinking the next day when I saw the photos, like all I could see was this girl that was 30 years old and wasn't happy and didn't feel healthy and vibrant and well. And I just looked at the photo and I just remember being like, if this is 30, what is 40 and what is 50? And so it was like this major turning point moment for me where I just was like, okay, something's going on. And I just like critic, cause I'm a nerd and I like to research and understand. I like was just critically investigating like the path I had been on, like what had changed and I was feeling good. And then I wasn't feeling good and what was going on. And then I kind of fell into the world of Food Inc. and Michael Pollan and just learning about like real food and how screwed up our factory farmed animals and CAFO farming was. And I just became obsessed with like, oh my God, this is what's killing us. Like this is the problem. Um, So then we found a farmer and we started getting all of our meat from a farmer and driving two hours to get our meat and getting eggs from the farmer's market and learning about organic food and Again, it was like this massive step forward with my health, major changes, lost about 40 or 45 pounds in a very short period. I think a lot of it was chronic inflammation and, and that was it. So then I continued on and that's when I started Tasty Yummies because I was like this, it's complicated, but it's not, it's not as complicated as we're making it out to be. So how can I help people feel empowered to take control of their health and learn more about the foods they're eating and also feel like they're not deprived of living a healthful, full life where they're out enjoying food with family and enjoying the holidays. 
Um, and then because I said the story is not short, <laughs> it's like it's like this. Uh, I like to liken it now to like peeling the layers back on an onion. You know, <laughs> it's like I get I get closer, and then it's like a little bit more. And so, 2010 is when I started Tasty Yummies, and then I started to notice a decline again in my health. And and you know some of it may have been there, and you just normalize it, but some of it's aging and then some of it's also just like you get to a point where you're so you're feeling so good that when things aren't right you're you become acutely aware of them and so I started to notice that my energy levels were off and I still was dealing with migraines and my cycle wasn't great and I had acne and the my digestion while I thought it was normal I realized after seeing a doctor like it wasn't normal to have a stomach ache all the time and have gas after every meal and that's when we kind of started to do more elimination diets and we did the autoimmune protocol and we were digging deeper and deeper and couldn't find a food I was responding to. And then we did testing and then we found I had pathogenic bacteria in my gut and a parasite. And we also did testing and discovered that um, I had an autoimmune form of kidney disease. So now I had a whole new set of things to deal with. Um, but that's been kind of the last, so that was 2014 when I got the diagnosis of the uh, kidney disease. And then I think it was 2015 of with the parasite and the pathogenic bacteria. And so right around that time is also when I discovered the NTA was 2015. And I just kind of dove in and I was like, this is it. Like, this is what I need to know to be able to help myself more and become my own advocate. But then to also take all of this stuff I've been through and use it to my advantage to help other people and not have to, for them, for it to be a, shoot, 13-year journey. I mean, I would love for some people to get to the bottom of what's going on with their health in two years or one year or 30 days, not 13 years. So it was kind of like the last piece. It was like the little bow on top of 13 years of like step by step by step trying to like navigate what am I dealing with now? What am I dealing with now? And now I feel fortunate to have been through all that and to be able to take my experiences and help other people. So long story, but (laughs) that's kind of a lot of it. I think it's an amazing story. And I think there probably are so many pieces of it that people can relate to, too, because I mean, for me, like when you I had never heard anybody else say this, and I'm sure it's a really common occurrence. But, you know, my like taking back my health journey happened after I saw a photo of myself, like a family photo from a Christmas thing. And I, I literally looked at that and it wasn't like, it wasn't all about weight. It was like, you're inflamed. You look exhausted. You're tired. Yeah. You probably are carrying lots of extra weight, but also like, I didn't feel like my best self. And that so much, I think, you know, we get, we get really bogged down and I think, you know, there's a lot of great conversation about weight loss and there's a lot of really negative conversation about weight loss. But, you know, for me, like my weight loss journey is what put me on a path to holistic nutrition and health. And I wouldn't trade it for a minute. And the moment you said that I was like, same, so much same to that. So, yeah. And it's, it's interesting because I look back at that photo and exactly to your point, it's like, I don't look at it. I mean, there was definitely that ego part of me that was like, this girl's overweight. Like, and I don't like that, but it was really to your point. Like, I don't, I didn't like seeing this version of myself that wasn't happy. Like, I remember looking at that photo and being like, this girl doesn't love herself. And like, how can you do anything in this life that's positive or impactful or have any important, um, 
impact is the best. Like if you don't love yourself, like how can you take care of other people if you don't love yourself? And it's like, it, yeah, a lot of it was from an external, like ego driven place, but so much of it was like, I just need to find something. I need to find a way to be the real me and to be the person that I know that I am inside of this sort of meat suit. That's like not being taken care of appropriately. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Oh, amen to that girl. Seriously. I think I would love to hear a little bit more about like your journey since uh, finding out you had this audio autoimmune kidney condition because you were already kind of on this track to real food and health and all of that. And what changed for you in like your nutrition and your diet when you found that out? Like what have you had to do to to manage yeah. Um, so I've, I was never officially tested for celiac because by the time, um, I had already eliminated it just cause I was responsive to it. By the time they tested me with a blood test, it obviously came up negative because that's what happens when you're not exposed to the, to the protein and the gluten. So I got a negative and I was like, well, that still doesn't change anything. Like everyone's like, don't you want to know? And I'm like, well, the protocol for celiac disease is to remove gluten. That's about it. And to manage your life, you know, accordingly to having an autoimmune. But the main thing is avoid gluten. I was doing that already. So I was not too worried about that diagnosis or not. But I always treated myself as if I did because of all of the other symptoms in my life. The kidney disease diagnosis is really interesting because I kind of like skimmed by that in the sort of intro of my story. But when we moved out to California from New York, it was 2013. I was feeling fine-ish, not great, didn't have great energy. I look back now and I realize how much I was dealing with and I just normalized, but it wasn't kind of on this path at that point. It was just kind of getting into our new life. I wasn't on this path to like, what's wrong with me? That So right at the start, it was just kind of living my life. But I told my husband, I said, we need to get life insurance because now we're away from our family. We're two small business owners. Like God forbid anything happens to one of us. Like we need to be adults here and be smart about this. So we went and applied for life insurance and they sent the nurse out to the house to do the physicals. And I was so worried about my husband because he is not exactly on the path that I'm on. He follows as best he can. I make all the meals. He's, he's made major strides, but like the man loves him some Oreos and he'll go out and have a burger (laughs) with the bun and he'll eat the fries. Like he, he does really great, but he's not as insane as I am. And he has cancer and heart disease in his family. And I was really worried about him. I'm like, I don't want to find out something we don't want to know. He's five years older than me. I was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. That MFR got like premium coverage. <laughs> like, great. You could probably lose like 15 pounds, but like otherwise, like awesome premium coverage. I got declined life insurance because I didn't know that I had kidney disease. That's how I found out I had something going on. I'd already previously dealt with like kidney stones and other doctors had diagnosed me with blood in my urine but you know god love western medicine they're like but that's normal some people just have blood in their urine i'm like okay like hindsight i'm like pretty sure blood in your urine means something's going on but i listened like a good patient and this life insurance physical they do a urinalysis and i had super high levels of protein in my urine and uh, microscopic blood So they declined me life insurance and they just said, like, if you go get this figured out and get diagnosed with something or figure out what's going on, like, we may consider you, but you'd be high risk. Like, just the fact that you don't know this is going on, like, no, we're not covering you. But we didn't have health insurance. We didn't have a doctor. We just moved out here. 
So we had to do all this. I had to get a kidney biopsy and then they diagnosed me with the IgA nephropathy is what it's called. Um, and then that's when I went down the wormhole of like researching it and finding out that like some research shows that up to 50% of people with it end in and stage renal failure and need a kidney transplant. And then I started realizing that there's a high correlation between celiac disease and IgA nephropathy. And, you know, they're both autoimmune. So most people that have IgA nephropathy would do better um, on a gluten-free diet and dairy-free and, you know, all these different things. And so, uh, you know, I kind of went down the wormhole. I scared the shit out of myself and followed the doctor's orders and went on stupid drugs because I was like, my husband's like, I don't want you to die. I, I don't want you to lose a kidney. Like go on whatever drugs they tell you. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure I don't need to do it, <laughs> but I did it. And then I felt really bad. So I went off. Um, but so sort of to the point of the question is that, you know, I was already doing so much right. And so in a lot of ways I felt fortunate that the disease that I was diagnosed with the disease, but because it's progressive, at the time I was diagnosed, they were like, your kidneys are functioning at 97%. So we're not in any sort of acute danger, but this is something that you need to forever pay attention to because you don't, you're never cured of this disease. You can get it into remission, um, but you can't cure it. And so then simultaneous to all of that is when I discovered all of the gut stuff. And so that's when I kind of like just started chipping away and I realized how chronically um, fatigued I was. And that's a big um side effect of the disease. And so now I'm kind of the last two years I've been on a mission. I've been eating keto and really focused on what I'm putting in my body. And I'm about to, tomorrow, actually, I'm going to get, uh, the first check-in I've done admittedly and longer than I should, uh, have gone, but checking in on my disease to see if it's progressed, if it's, I mean, my ideal would be that it's in remission, but, um, yeah, so it's just kind of been, maintenance slash in the back of my mind it's all like if I can just get this disease in remission if I can just get it in remission <laughs> it's not a small thing to have in the back of your mind that's no, for sure no um it's amazing too the connections between like pathogens and gut issues and and this like path of autoimmunity and that trigger from like basically turning a gene on and being like all right here's the course of action we go through now and it's you know it, it can be for some people getting a diagnosis is so empowering and then because you know what to do right moving forward and then others it can be so debilitating so um i think it's just so uh it's awesome that you were already on a path of health to to be able to find that but it's so hard for people to advocate in the medical system these days to be able to say like oh, i know i'm gonna choose not to take these drugs because of how they make me feel um, and being empowered with already knowing you were healing and taking care of your body with real food is everything. So, I mean, the drugs that they prescribed are, um, you know, your everything's connected and your blood pressure is regulated by your kidneys and, and I don't have high blood pressure, but their answer was in order to keep my blood pressure down to not affect my kidneys any further, we're going to put you on a blood pressure lowering medicine. And it's like in my head, I just was like, I was feeling so, I was feeling the need to be compliant because I was terrified. Like when someone tells you there's a potential of 50% that you're going to end in, you know, renal, end stage renal failure, like it's scary. So I took the drugs and then all I did, like I was, I'm a yoga instructor and I was practicing yoga five days a week at 530 in the morning. And every time I would go into an inversion, I was like, I'm going to pass out. And I'm like, this is because I'm on blood pressure lowering medication and my blood pressure is fine. Like this is not 
you're literally, as we talk about all the time in the NTA, it's like they're slapping a Band-Aid on a symptom and not getting to the root cause of why I have the effing disease in the first place. Well, and so much about blood pressure management is you can do that with your lifestyle, which means self-care is like your lane and your jam. I love hearing you talk. For the longest time I watched you do like your walk to the gym, which I'm sure you still do. Um, But tell us more about that, like the path to deciding to walk to the gym every single day and how what's the distance for you? Um, it's three quarters of a mile each way, just under a mile each way. Um, yeah, it's so funny. So after I kind of got through the pathogenic bacteria and the parasite and I was like, whoa, this is what life is supposed to feel like, right? Like I just thought it was normal to be too tired to go on a dog walk every day. And I thought it was normal to just feel like the gym was this thing that people love. But I just, I was so fatigued. I was so exhausted all the time. And I just thought it was, oh, I work a lot. Like I'm in my thirties. Like this is just what we do. That when I turned this corner and really, I really got through intense gut healing and then we detoxed my liver. Like I just remember being like, holy crap. Like I have so much energy. I don't know what to do with myself. So I joined the gym and I was like, all right, I finally feel like this thing I've wanted to do that seems so important and is so important that doesn't feel like this burden to carry. I actually want to do it. So I joined a gym found a trainer I loved and started making it a routine, but I was driving to the gym. Cause I'm like, yeah, the sooner I get there, the sooner I get my workout done, the sooner I get home to my work. And I just, it was just part of the routine of what I was doing. And it was fine. I'm not, I don't think there was anything wrong with that. It was perfect for what I needed at the time. And a lot of it was just because I was like, I need to work the sooner I get home, the sooner I'm working. And, um, last summer, so I'd been driving or riding my bike every day and I go to the gym Monday through Friday. Last summer, we went to Yosemite. Um, my trainer and I hosted like a week-long, I, I don't want to say retreat, that makes it sound more woo-woo. It was very like, we're going to do workouts and go on intense hikes and like cook good food and just like chill by a fire. It was really like, it was just fun. And several of the days we went on really big hikes. And one of the days, <laughs> the, the biggest day was the day that we hiked Half Dome, which is the big Half Dome in Yosemite. Um, and it was a 14 hour, 22 mile trek that ends while the peak is like you scale up a mountain with cables. Like I'm not a hiker. I mean, I hike intermittently, but I'm not a rock climber. I don't do any epic hikes. I've never probably ever hiked more than 10 miles in a day. And then the other, then there was two other days we did big hikes and each of them were like 10 and 14 miles respectively. So from the week that we were in Yosemite, I remember looking at my phone and we hiked something like 50 something miles. Like it was insane the amount of miles that we did in a week's time. And I just remembered thinking like, God, it's so nice to be outside in the sunshine and it's so nice to have your feet on the ground. And it's so nice to like be present in the moment versus like, throwing all your crap in the car and running out the door and just like getting to where you're going and then being on your phone and then getting back in the car. And I was like, if I can do 22 miles in one day, I'm pretty sure I can find the space to do like a mile and a half. And like, I've tracked it out. It was 15 minutes each way to the gym and back. Like it's an extra 30 minutes. Like I have 30 minutes to scroll through social media. I have 30 minutes to like watch a TV show So I'm like very, um, even though I'm a rebel, I'm very, uh, I'm very much an upholder when I set goals for myself or 
rules that I set for myself. It's just like there's some fun in it for me of like, this is what I'm doing now. So the Monday that I got back to the gym after Yosemite, I started walking every day to and from the gym. And I started realizing like all this amazing thinking time. And it's like almost meditative because I'm like having these ideas for my work and just noticing the trees and the air. And I'm like, wow, I've been missing out on this every day. And so now it's been, that was July, is it 2018? Yeah, (laughs) that was July of 2017. And I have walked, with the exception of when I'm traveling, I have walked to and from the gym every single day that I've gone to the gym, which is Monday through Friday most weeks since then. I missed one half of uh, one walk one day because my foot started hurting and I was like like actually limping down the street. And I was like... (laughs) okay, now you're just being an idiot. Like now your upholder idea here is like actually hurting you. Not. Yeah. It's like (laughs) literally my hip was hurting. I'm like, all right, you're an asshole. Call your husband. I'm like, can you please pick me up? I can't believe I have to do this. Come get me. (laughs) Had you, had you made it it past special time? Had you made it past the one year mark when you had to make that call? Yeah. See, you're good. It's fine. Yeah. And then my trainer knows like the day that I did that, he's such an a-hole. He was like, oh, you missed it. You missed today. I was like, please, like my body hurt me. Don't you make me feel bad? Because I already felt bad enough that I had to pick up the phone. Like I wrote the text and I was like, no. And I stepped, kept walking. I'm like, it literally hurts. Like it hurts. This is so stupid. Yes. Sticking to something doesn't mean, you know. No, always, always. Yeah. And for every, like at, at your, the cost of your health, it's, it's absolutely yeah. silly. So gotta be flexible. Yeah. I think so much of self-care too, is just being intentional with your time and looking for opportunity too. And I feel like, you know, the walk to the gym is an opportunity and not everybody has that distance, but I would love for you to talk a little bit more about, um, your journey with like self-love and self-care and just kind of discovering that being a a massive piece of, of healing and health and wellness and taking care of yourself. Cause I think that's such a big part of your message and your passion and you do it well, girl. Thank you. Well, it's been a long journey. Like, and I, I don't take any of it for granted. And I also don't take the work that it's taken me to get here lightly. Like, it's not like, Hey, all you have to do is just love yourself. Like just look in the mirror and love what you see. It's like people say that stuff, but it's like, do you know how hard that, like, I remember literally looking in the mirror and like wanting to look away or walking past my reflection and being like, I just don't even want to see it. Like, I don't want to look that way or just only the only things I could see about my body were things that I didn't like. It was never like, Oh, but at least this, or I could find this thing I love about myself. And so you know, it's been, it's just like my health journey. It's been so ever evolving. And it was like a baby step and a baby step. And of course, like I would be a full blown liar if I didn't say losing 45 pounds was a big catalyst to me being able to just kind of not just look at my body and love it because it was skinnier, but to know that I was the one in control and that I was making decisions because I cared for myself and I was making decisions for my health to feel better and to live the life I wanted to live it. The first time I lost that much weight, it was not about like, it was the first time in my life. I wasn't doing something to lose weight. I was only doing it because I wanted to feel better. And I knew I deserved to feel better. And I don't know why I suddenly had that motivation or that clarity that that was it. Um, but a big part of it, it was, you know, uh, I was an athlete in high school and college. I played volleyball 
and it was a sport that I loved and it was very important to me. And then I kind of lost track of having something in my life physical that I loved. And when I discovered yoga, God, it's been like, I don't know when I started doing yoga, 2006, maybe when I discovered yoga, it was like scary and I was unsure of myself and I was unsure of my body and a million other things. But it was the first time that I was like excited that I could just celebrate what my body was capable of instead of being lost in that. What's wrong with me? What's wrong with my body? Why am I the sick one? Why does my stomach hurt all the time? Why is this? It's like, I just, I can clearly remember just being like, wow, I can't believe I did that. Wow. I can't believe I can do that arm balance. Wow. I'm standing on my head. Like there's just, there were so many powerful moments that, you know, it just kind of transformed how I looked at my body as this able thing instead of this thing that wasn't up to par or good enough or skinny enough or pretty enough. Um, so I feel like that was the first bit of me learning how to love my body and remove the sort of external pressure that we're always (laughs) smacked over the head with in terms of like not being enough, you know, do this thing so you can be better. It was like to the point of making the changes with my health, each of the times I've done major changes, this thing I was doing with yoga wasn't because I wanted to be somebody else. And it wasn't because I felt like I needed to fit in and it wasn't, it just was this thing that made me feel good and it made everything else slow down. And it took my brain out of this space of comparing and despairing and, and just celebrating and being present and being with my breath. And, you know, again, it sort of just snowballed from there. And in the last couple of years, I mean, I definitely, there's something to be said for getting into your mid to late thirties and things change. Um, and you learn that, what you once thought wasn't good enough, you'll look back and be like, God, I would kill for that. Or look at my face then. It's like, if you don't stop and appreciate what you have now, like it's going to be gone before you know it. And then you're going to be back wishing that you had it. Um, And then kind of the last thing that I will say is that, you know, something that I learned from not just doing yoga, but also going through my yoga teacher training is we talk about there's this practice called, um, I always say it wrong, so I'm going to butcher it, but it's Prakti Paksha Bhadanam. It's like Sanskrit. And it actually like loosely translates in English to stop, do the opposite. And it's kind of like, I actually wrote a whole article about it because after I hiked Half Dome last year and I had this moment of like clarity when I got up to the top and I was so proud of myself, I just remember thinking, what has shifted in the last couple of years and what shifted was that when these negative thoughts come up, which none of us are perfect, it still happens for me. We all have moments of like, why do I have this much cellulite? And why do, why do I have to work so much harder? Or why am I the sick one? Or why, why this, why that? How can I be better? I'm not good enough. Those pop, those thoughts still pop up for me as they've done my whole life. But I finally have a practice where I stop in the moment and I say, okay, this is here to teach me something or just to be an asshole that'll always kind of be lingering in the back of my head telling me I'm not good enough. But now I need to stop and do the opposite. And, you know, I know it sounds so easy or so like that's easy for you to say, but I think in the moment when you can hear your, hear your sort of alter ego popping up to tear you down and you can just stop and be like, okay, uh, thank you. There's something here, but now I'm going to find something about myself that I love. Now I'm going to look in the mirror and be like, I can't believe how strong I am. I can't believe how much I've overcome. I can't believe how, you know, how pretty my eyes are, whatever, whether it's completely 
external and, you know, surface or something about who you are. But it's like, for me, it's the thing that snaps me out and makes me realize that I wouldn't allow my girlfriend to talk about herself that way. I wouldn't allow someone else to talk about my favorite person that way. So why the hell am I tolerating it from myself to me? (laughs) It's not okay. I so agree. I think that the negative self-talk, I mean, we all have it no matter where we're at in our journey. There's always something we think we can do better, look better, be better, whatever. And I I love that concept. Stop and do the opposite. It's so powerful. Like, I know it seems so oversimplified. I, I know it, but it's like anything. It's a practice. And it's like you start to get up to a point where you almost laugh at yourself when you hear these stupid things that yourself is saying about you. You're like, shut up, actually. <laughs> You're kind of a jerk. <laughs> so basically, like, you took your health journey and you turned it into a blog and you turned that blog into a business. And then you were on your own health journey and you found out about how to heal yourself. And then you went to school to figure out how to help heal other people. And then you loved yoga. And so you had to yoga teacher training and you made that like you, you remind me of myself so much in the fact that like you take anything that you love and are passionate about and figure out a way to make it part of your career, whether it's monetized or not. But I mean, that's like the goal for all of us, right? To be able to live our best life daily. And the funny thing is I talk to so many people who are literally just like, how do you get a job like you have? And I'm like, well, you just, you just get it you just do it. You create, you make it. And that's one thing, you know, I grew up in a, in a space where, you know, we, we had very little money growing up. My mom worked multiple jobs, but one thing I watched her do time and time again was like create her own position in whatever job she was in so that she could still do the mom thing or she could still like she would work in a daycare so that she could take care of her kids and when we were really little she was in the baby room and then when we were bigger she was like I don't want to do the baby room anywhere I'm gonna be in the main room but she made there was this huge adaptive thing in life where she was like I'm gonna make myself be able to get paid for what I was gonna be doing anyway and I I, I well and I absolutely love it and I try I've tried to mirror that as well but it's kind of this subconscious thing that just happens to some of us and yep. and I, like I don't know about you but my husband was literally like so are you just gonna like make this your career because you're kind of obsessed with it and he was the one who turned me on to me like oh I should probably go become a nutritional therapist and that's kind of what yeah. led me to the NTA I think for so many of us our healing journey so I would just love to hear more from you about like turning your passion into your your main gig and your lifestyle like it's it's amazing and I think something that so many people and our listeners specifically are are trying to do yeah I mean there's a lot I could say I think the first thing is is that I didn't intend for this and you know it's not like I went through each step of the way and thought if I could just get through this like I can't wait to start a blog and like share like it just was I was just living my life and people were seeing the changes that I was experiencing and they were asking a lot of questions and so in 2010 when I did that elimination diet well, this I did a second elimination diet. I guess I wasn't clear in that. The 2005 <laughs> elimination diet is when I discovered the gluten intolerance. 2010, when I kind of had that turning point moment with my 30th birthday, I I didn't do like a traditional elimination diet. I just kind of like cut out processed foods and started learning about where my food was coming from. And so 
but ever the like upholder to my own rules, like I set a goal of like 30 days and just said, give yourself 30 days, see how you feel after 30 days and then make some decisions there. And so I, it probably now, if I looked back on it, it's probably like the equivalent of like a whole 30 or a 21 day sugar detox or any number of those protocols. But when I did that and the weight just started to fall off, which wasn't my intention, I got a bajillion questions like, okay, you're not eating gluten, which you already weren't doing. And now you're not eating dairy and all of your meat's coming from farmers and you don't eat processed foods and you don't eat sugar. Like, and you lost weight and you make it look easy. What are you doing? Like, I don't understand. And so I was like, oh, well, I keep getting asked the same questions over and over. And all I thought was, I just want people to know that it's not so hard. Like that's everything that I've done in my life. It's never like, if I could just teach people, I can make money. I just always think after I discovered this, wow, if I wish I knew it was this easy, I need people to know that it's not as complicated as a lot of people are making it out to be. And I want them to know that living a normal life while you're going through this stuff is possible. So when I started the website, it was a hobby. I had a full blown other career that I actually loved. My husband and I owned a small graphic design business. We worked in the entertainment and music industry. We were hand silk screening posters and tea towels and t-shirts and greeting cards. So fun. the country and like working music festivals and arts and crafts fairs. It was a, it was a grind and it was a hard way to make a living, but we loved what we were doing. So tasty yummies was just this thing I would do in my off time. And it was, it just brought me joy. And then as time went on, it brought me more joy and it brought me more joy. And my husband was like, Hey, I know you really like that thing that you're doing, but it's costing us a lot of money, like a lot of money. You're buying a ton of groceries and you are spending a lot more time doing that than the projects that we're taking in through our business. So what's your plan? I'm like, I don't have a plan. I don't want to make money. I don't want to ruin this thing that I love so much. I don't want people to feel like I'm selling out. I don't want people to feel like my intentions are anything but pure. I want people to know that I'm just passionate. And he was like, great, then you need to stop doing it so much because we're going to go broke or I need you to make money. And I've talked about this a lot when I've done like spoken live at events or on my podcast, but it's like, I remember leaving his office pissed. I was so angry at him that he was not demanding, but kind of requesting. I found a way to monetize this thing that I love. And I was sobbing. I'm like, it's going to ruin it. It's going to ruin it. And then I kept on with the path of just doing it. And then I started to realize like it started to bring me more joy than this career that I had like gone to college for and built and worked at ad agencies and like spent 10 years building. Like I loved this so much more and it made me so much more fulfilled. And so like everything, it's like, it was just baby steps. It was like, okay, what can I do right now to make a little money to prove to my husband that I can do this? So I just put in Google ads onto my website. Cause I'm like, it's getting really good traffic for a blog. This time it was three or four years old and just put in Google ads. And I was like, okay, I can make a couple hundred dollars a month. And then I got myself into like an ad network and then I started making a couple hundred more. And then it kind of got closer to a thousand. And then I started having brands reach out, reach out to me about partnering together. I'm like, okay, there are ways to make money that I remain in control of what I'm creating. There are ways to make money that allow me to give more to my readers because now I have more to give because I'm being supported in other ways. And there's a way to show my readers that me taking ads on or making money is a direct reflection of how committed I am to this and not of me quote selling out. And yeah, then when I kind of like found the NTA and found a way to kind of deepen and further my knowledge so I had more to share, it just became 
you know, setting myself up, you know, not only for myself and my beliefs and trusting in myself, but setting myself up as an authority that when brands were coming to me, now I had years of experience and content to prove that I was worth it, but also that there was a voice of, you know, having a certification behind your name offers credibility and brands love to see that you're not just a food blogger, that you're a certified nutritional therapist that's done the education. And when I stand behind their supplements, it's not coming with a caveat or an asterisk. It's just like, I truly believe in this and would recommend it to my own clients. And I'm saying no to 10 other things that don't fit that criteria. So, you know, it's, it's a struggle and it's not an easy, like just turn on the money-making button and you can find your way. But to your point, I think when you have, when you have that bug inside of you or you have that itch to make it, you get scrappy, you get real scrappy and you start finding ways to monetize so that you can continue to do the thing that you love. And, you know, I have no doubt in my mind that the reason that things fall into place is because if you're truly passionate about it and it's truly something you believe you should be doing with your life, then you will work the hours and it'll never, you know, I hate that saying it'll never feel like work if you're working on something you love. Because it does. It does feel like work. (laughs) But you there's still an element, even when it's hard, there's still an element of feeling, uh, pushed to do it. Like, I know this sucks. Email sucks, but it's important so that I can do all the other stuff I love. Yeah. You know? Yeah. The pieces of it that feel like work maybe also you can delegate out a little bit, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, as you build, of course. But yeah, I love that. I, you know, I, I have always tried to find unconsciously tried to find a way to monetize doing the things that I love. And it wasn't until, you know, again, you have people in your life who are like, you know, what are you doing? And it was the same for me. I I went through a weight loss journey and, um, you know, and a health journey and, and on that path of healing, I just had a ton of people, you know, they finally see it on the outside Mm -hmm. and they're like, I, I want what you have. How do I do that? And so much of this for me was like, it's, not that hard. And I I fully acknowledge and recognize that, yes, there are pieces of it that can be very difficult. Everybody's got their own place. They're coming from their own triggers, their own baggage. Like it's not simple for every single person, but it doesn't have to be so complicated, whatever that version of complicated is for you. Um, and I just love, I love that message because that was so much of my mission when I first started out too. I'm like, you guys like what, you know, what do you mean? It's so hard to like eat healthy. You just like prep food once a week and then you refresh it one other day and you know, make sure you're making good choices when you go to the grocery store and here you go. And they're like, well, how do I do that? And then you're like, okay, well, let me just teach you how to do that. The interesting piece for me was that I always, I always wanted to go the blog direction because I knew I could have a bigger impact but my in-person practice blew up quickly. Mm -hmm. And so I never had the time to do the, you know, the bigger impact pieces to create, um, you know, tutorials and recipes and all of that. So that's kind of all coming full circle for me now, uh, which is a really interesting path because most people come to, you know, having like a bigger business through building, you know, the, the blog and the website and getting traffic that way and bringing in money that way. And mine was the opposite. And I finally was like, I got to create other income streams for myself to have time to do the blogging and all of that, that I love and monetize that piece too. Cause in the beginning, there's not much monetizing to be done until you have quite a bit of content laid out. So, 
Well, I um, think you, you're at an advantage because I feel like when you see clients, it also offers the, I jokingly say this all the time now, but it's like, it gives me that two way mirror of like, my love will always lie on creating content online because I know it reaches more people, but seeing clients one-on-one has greatly informed what I'm doing with my work now. Like before I went through the NTA, like I see these pieces that are missing. It comes up with every single one of my clients and I'm like, okay, instead of teaching each of them about how to build a smarter smoothie and why it's important to make sure they get enough fat and protein and add crunchies and all this, like instead of telling each of them, like that means it's time to create a post. And if they're all asking, then other people that aren't my clients are asking. So I feel like I know it's less conventional coming the opposite way, but I think you have a lot more clarity on what the average person needs and is looking for. And I think it's going to inform what you create for, for everybody. Yeah. And I, I, it's honestly served so much of my thought process and what I want to bring to the table creatively is like that bank of frequently asked questions or frequent issues that every client has. And, you know, so much of them are digestive and blood sugar and, and all of that, but incorporating that into recipes. And by the way, your smarter smoothie guy, that was, that was totally one of the things that I was like, okay, first of all, why didn't I create that? And then also I was like, this is all are all the points that I've been telling my clients about how to construct a smoothie if we're going to choose to have a smoothie instead of something that we're eating directly and and I literally just I was like just go to Beth's website and go use this resource (laughs) I would like directly email it to them it's in like half my newsletters because I'm just like listen people this is exactly what you need to know so if you guys haven't checked out Beth's guide for smarter smoothies make sure you do that I will link it in the show notes for you guys um before we wrap up I really want to talk to you about your approach to keto so we've kind of we've had one episode very um like big overview of what it means to eat keto and kind of why you might want to do that and we haven't gotten into the nitty-gritty a lot but I love seeing people actually employing it as a lifestyle and not because it's the only way but because it works for great for some people um but you use carb ups so I would love to hear more about how you incorporate carb ups into your lifestyle and why that works so well for you and maybe like the connection to your training yeah so I've been doing keto just under two years now and you know like a lot of people when I first started it I got really wrapped up in the like oh I gotta measure my blood ketones and my blood glucose and I have to do it perfectly or I'm not quote keto or if I'm not in ketosis I'm not gonna do it right and uh I just got bored. I was like, I hate, I've never been like into macro counting and like I'll food journal if I need to, but I'm like, once food turns that corner for me where it becomes a thing that you're counting or quantifying, I like, I become so disinterested that I'm like, I just kind of hate food now. And also I'm angry at food and also my job revolves around food. So this doesn't work for me. (laughs) (laughs) You're like resenting it. You're like, I can't, I can't write a recipe today. I'm just pissed off at this food. Yeah. I'm like, I don't, I don't know. So I kind of went that route first and I just found myself feeling very irritated and not happy. And I was like, but I feel so effing good. Like I'd never felt better in my entire life ever. Like never had more energy, never had more mental clarity. I just was like, okay, what's the answer here? And I just, I kind of came to this realization that I'm like, if I'm doing this to feel better, like I'm not trying to cure type two diabetes, I'm not 
I don't have 75 pounds to lose. Like I just want to feel my best. I want to have the energy that I know I should have. And I want to be able to like live the lifestyle that I want to live. Um, and I just was like, right. You just have to eat this way. Like, it doesn't matter how many carbs you're eating. It doesn't matter. Like, you know, obviously there's some level of like, I keep track of like when I'm having carbohydrates and where they're coming from and how many, so that I'm not just like, Hey guys, I'm keto. And then the day ends and I've had a hundred net carbs. Like I'm not advocating for that, but I think that there's so much in order to keep it as a lifestyle and something you can sustain. I think it's about learning habits that work for you. And it kind of goes back to what I preach about everything. It's that bio individuality, but it's like honoring your honoring your individuality and knowing that there isn't a path for everybody. And so keto is a really great baseline formula for me to follow, but because I work out six days a week generally. Um, and often it's high intensity. I weightlift three to four days a week. Um, I work out with a trainer. I, and because I'm one of those people that loves to be compliant with my own, like I like to uphold my rules when I was very strictly keto, I just was like, this isn't, I feel great, but I'm having these kind of crashes. And you know, you read all this stuff about like, oh, you can work out, you can even do CrossFit on keto. It's like, maybe we need to underline the word you and be more focused on maybe you can do CrossFit on keto, but maybe the person next to you, I mean, some people can't even do keto at all because it doesn't work. And some people do keto and do CrossFit. Congratulations. Some people are keto and vegan and run marathons. High five, bro. I'm not you. <laughs> like, I, get, I can't be you. So instead of getting wrapped up in all that, I just thought, okay, like everything in life, experiment, explore, be curious, like what's working, what's not. And so I started to pay attention to my body and the kind of cues I was getting. And I was realizing a couple of things. Um, I'm an amazing sleeper. I sleep really, really well. But every once in a while, I would notice that I'd have a really restless night's sleep. And I was very alert and awake and waking up throughout the night. I'm like, okay. I did some reading and kind of found the correlation between carbohydrates and our, you know, all of the levels in the body with our glucose and how this works in the production of serotonin and melatonin and how you can have sleepless nights if you go too low carb. So that was kind of like step one is realizing that like, okay, maybe this, this weird random sleepless night is a sign my body needs more carbohydrates. And then same goes for my workouts because I'm not always doing high intensity workouts. There would be days where I would do a high intensity workout and it would be effortless and I had been keto and, you know, eating the way I eat. And then I would have a random day where I'm like, I just feel deflated. I'm like, right. Okay. That could be a sign that I might be in need of a carb up. And the frequency, it's not like I can say, oh, I carb up every Thursday or every fourth day I do this. It's like, I just learn to listen to my body and the cues that it's sending me. Um, and then the last thing that kind of gives me clues me into needing to carb up is I notice I'm a very happy person. I, I'm grateful that at this point in my life, not that I have never, but at this point in my life, I don't struggle with depression. I don't really struggle with anxiety too much. But I'll notice, again, there'll be a random day, and it's not related to my cycle. I'll just have a random day where I'm like, I feel sad. Like, I just feel like, meh. Like, like, just a little sad. Just just sad. Just a little off. Just, just off. And I'm like, huh. I wonder if that... So, like, I've noticed these little things. And so each of those things are my cue 
one of them or all of them of like it's time for a carb up. Um, and then for me, because I know that, you know, I feel so good eating this way. And I know that a lot of carbs are fine and safe for me. I do great with sweet potatoes and squash and sometimes white rice. I also know that like my main goal in eating this way is to feel my best, but I also don't want to cause a massive surge in my blood sugar that will cause a massive drop that will then encourage me to have more cravings for more of the stuff that I'm not interested in and I don't want. So I'll generally practice my carb ups in the evening hours because I know that if and when I have carbohydrates like a serving of rice or sweet potatoes or squash in the evening, that drop in my blood sugar that will happen after the rise of my blood sugar, which could potentially encourage cravings, is happening overnight while I'm sleeping and my body's in a restful state. And so I'll wake up in the morning and everything's great, normal day, go right back to how I'm eating and then I make the decision again when the time is right. Um, And I'm not, I'm just not strict about any of it. When I travel, I mostly follow a keto approach, but if I go somewhere and it's somewhere I may never be again or a place that's a part of my past, within reason, I'll be like, yeah, I'm gonna get those gluten-free pancakes. Like, nobody died from having a little gluten-free pancake with maple syrup and then right back to how you eat. Like, again, I'm not dealing with type two diabetes. I'm not trying to win an award for highest ketones, lowest blood sugar ever. Like, I just wanna feel good. (laughs) And sometimes pancakes make me feel good. And that's okay. Exactly. Oh my goodness. I think that's so much of this conversation is just all about making this a lifestyle and how you figure out to make it work for you. And I think if you have to count everything, that's kind of a sign that it's not working in the, in the long run, you know, so adjusting course. And I love hearing that you're just doing carb ups based on how you feel. Cause I think that is exactly you know, what we all need to strive for is being able to listen to our body well enough to know when to, you know, incorporate something or change something. Um, and you know, you can be meticulous about a carb up and have one, you know, once a week or whatever, and have it be part of your ritual, but you don't have to, you know, what if, you know, your workouts weren't that intense that week and you're still feeling great and you don't feel like you need carbohydrates and you, you know, your day to day, you still feel healthy and energetic and, you know, there's no reason to have it unless you want to, you know? Right. So, well, and I think that that's sort of the, the message that I'm always preaching of like listening to your body but also setting things up to be to to allow you to be your most successful I think people often get so wrapped up and you know self-included as I've already acknowledged several times I love to be compliant to my own rules and be an upholder because I know that about myself because I know that counting macros and counting my blood ketones like can actually be detrimental to me from a a scary place where I can turn a corner and fall into disordered eating very quickly. I've done protocols just from a health perspective of like the autoimmune protocol and elimination diets that because of my love for compliance and upholding, like I was afraid to reintroduce foods and I was bordering on disordered eating because of my personality, not because of somebody else's rules, not because my doctor told me the wrong thing to do, but because I know this about myself. And so I think it's about finding a path and finding a method that works for you once you have some self-awareness and do some investigating about what kind of personality you have and how you do your best. Some people love tracking and having rules because they like the rules and it gives them a purpose. So that for you is a great method, but 
that's why I think it's important to just know yourself enough to be able to pick your own way for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Tracking is tracking works well for some people. Um, and, and not for others. That's, uh, yes. Um, so much of it is personality. I love that you mentioned like the rebel versus upholder and that whole quality. It spoke to how I coached my clients so much and understood like their approach to, you know, making changes and healthy habits and everything. So love it. I am an obliger through and through. I have mm. to have accountability. This is my thing. Having, wow. having a coach is everything. And then being a mom makes it way fucking worse. <laughs> Just gonna say that. <laughs> like I can't control everything. No, now it's like obliger to the max. Um, mm-hmm. and I oblige to my child all the time, but neither here nor Gosh. there. So, um, tell us more about the podcast. I want to hear about the podcast. This is like relatively new. You've yeah, been doing new-ish. it since what summer? Yeah, I started it earlier this year and because my husband's helping me produce it, he has a full-time podcast as his career. Um, I was just going to do one episode a month because I was like, that's all I can handle. That's all he can handle since he's helping me edit and he's appearing on a lot of the episodes. Um, And then recently I was like, kind of to my point of earlier, like I started realizing that I have like a thousand plus recipes in my archives. Like I love making recipes and I never, ever want to stop. But I'm also just like, I don't want to say I'm tiring of it, but I'm like, people don't need recipes. They need help with their mindset and shifting like their mindset surrounding why they're changing their health and choosing the recipes are just a piece of the puzzle. Like I believe wholeheartedly that the food is so important, but it's not the only part. And so I was doing the podcast once a month and I just was like, God, it's making me so happy to do this. And like everything starts out small. I don't have a gigantic audience, but the people that are committed the feedback I was getting and just being able to like speak to people on a different level. And I know, you know, all this, but it's like that communication and the ability for people to kind of like get to know who I am through something other than my writing. I don't know. I just, it's really been very positive for me. And so I don't know when it was maybe last month or the month before I just was like, I'm ready to commit to a week, like once a week podcast. And my husband's like, Ugh. <laughs> Like that falls a lot on him. And he's like, well, okay, what, you know, what, what are you going to do? What do you need me for? And I've just tried to learn how to like, I do all my own audio editing now and I do everything. All he does is like drop in the music, which he's like, I got to show you how to do that. You don't think he wants to do it anymore. (laughs) And, um, yeah, I do pretty much all of it myself, but I've been, this month has been like, I'm actively like recording with a bunch of different people to kind of like pile up and get through the end of the year. And it's just been a really great way to like have the conversation about what's happening between our meals. I don't know if I said this already, but the podcast is called the between meals podcast. I don't think you did, but you're good now. (laughs) Um, yeah, I just want to have an ongoing dialogue and discussion about all of this other stuff that's happening. So our stress and our sleep and mindfulness and mindset work. And yeah, we'll probably talk about food, but I want to talk about people talk with people that are doing keto their way and I want to talk with stress management doctor you know like just so many different facets to our health that often are ignored I'm just trying to like get that conversation to kind of continue and so yeah I'm loving it it's been really powerful 
Well, I love the commentary piece with Mark at the like end of the episode. It's it's I, and I love I love hearing you talk about the the concepts, you know, between I love between meals. I think that's such a fantastic name. Thank and you. um I I think you know, you can probably relate to this as well. You know, so much of that client practitioner relationship ended in, okay, well what now? Like we have the food dialed. We're feeling good. But like, how do we take charge of our life? How do we take better care? You know, and obviously the self-care and the sleep and the healthy habits and things like that, you know, they come alongside the food changes as we counsel them through. But the end of it, it almost felt like this life coaching piece. Mm -hmm. And it was so clear to me that like this has to be this complete package where we at least have a conversation around, you know, what it means to have these other pieces of life be healthy too. our relationships, our, our self-love, our self-care, our, you know, sleep, everything. So I've loved your podcast so far and I can't wait to hear. I'm so excited to hear that you're just going gung ho with the weekly. Cause I noticed you were like releasing episodes more often and I was like, is this going to keep happening? Uh so excited it is i mean you know this but it is a commitment like you record the podcast and you're like great that was fun that was an hour and then you're like i have to edit it and then i have to add it in the intro and then do an out we do that outro piece and then we and then you have design and then you yeah yeah do the cover and write all the show notes and then make all the stuff for social media and like podcasts don't do great on social media because i swear instagram's like you have a podcast no one cares tell us something else like it's like so hard to promote podcasts. I yeah. Amen like. to that sister. Oh, it's like, <laughs> yeah. This week in my story or in my feed, I was like, I'm just putting the puppy. It was this week's episode was a sleep meditation. And I put the new foster puppy's face on Instagram. And I was just like, are you sleeping good? And I just put his face up. Cause I'm like, he's sleeping. He looks adorable. Like maybe this will get people to read it. Cause Instagram does not want like text on the photos. And so you just try, you just try your best. <laughs> Oh, I feel you on that one. But I love I love the podcast medium because it just gives you an opportunity to really be personal and connect with the people that, uh, you know, have been following your work probably for years. And it's just this different layer. And I don't I don't know about you. You know, my first foray with podcasts was the Balance Bites podcast many, many years ago. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, you get through 10, 20 episodes and you're like, I feel like I know you. And then you meet them in person and they're like, well, I don't know you, but, (laughs) but it's, it's this different level of like vulnerability and community that you can find. And it just helps people see too, you know, we as practitioners, as people who are professionals in this space, like we're just people too. Mm-hmm. Um, we're struggling too. Yeah. Amen to that. Oh my goodness. Um, okay. Well, let's wrap up with the question we ask all of our guests. And that is, what is your biggest rebel moment? Hmm. I don't know if I have like a big life rebel moment, but I will at least give you my biggest recent rebel moment. Love it. Because this is a big one for me. So I am, even though I've talked about being an upholder with myself and these weird rules, when it comes to most of life and my business, especially I'm through and through a rebel. Like my life is kind of a mess. I don't like people to tell me what to do. I want to be in the places I want to be at the time. I want to be there. Like, don't tell me this. Like having nutrition clients was hard for me in the beginning because I was like, Oh, I have to be somewhere at a certain time that someone else picked. (laughs) I am not in charge of this anymore. Um, and you know, owning your own business, that's the the beautiful thing is that I'm like, today I want to cook today. I don't want to cook. I'm going to do whatever I want. 
Um, so this year, as I've dove deeper into some things and projects I'm working on with my business, I'm working on a personalized keto nutrition program. And yeah. So I'm exciting. Like, Thank you. It's I'm excited about it. And it's it's an eight-week program that is incorporating a lot of like habit formation and behavior and like mindset work and then creating like a program that is customized for you based on your lifestyle and what you're doing and with my approach in mind. Um, and every time I would sit down to work on it, I'm like, oh, I don't have time because I'm doing this and I'm doing that. And my husband's like, why don't you create a schedule? Like you're a mess, get a schedule. I'm like, no, if I create a schedule, that means I'm gonna have to keep to a schedule and I do not want to be told what days I'm doing what, like, it was freaking me out just thinking about having like a calendar with time blocking. And I've been working with a business coach for the last couple of months while I'm working on this program. And when I released the initial keep it simple keto ebook and I was like, okay, I think I'm ready. I'm ready for you to help me manage my life and create like a schedule and a calendar because I have, I have so much going on. Like I see clients and I release one video a week and one podcast a week and one article a week. And then I'm doing beauty Connor. And I'm like, I can't do all of this and get to this program. And I really want to get to this program. It's really important to me. So she created in Google calendars, a time block schedule of like, okay, what are your non-negotiables? What do you do every day? Like we literally like blocked out Monday through Friday, everything so that I had time to work on. And like, it, when I saw it, I was like half turned on because I'm like, this is so beautiful. Like, <laughs> I don't even know what to do with how beautiful this is. And then I was half like fully freaked out. And the rebel in me was like, no, you're not going to tell me what time to eat my lunch. Like every day lunch is at the same time. Like you can't tell me when to eat lunch. But I was like, you know what? Sometimes discomfort is necessary. Sometimes you just have to do it. So I just dove in. And so for me, it's like, I know it's not like this big, huge moment, but for me right now, this was a huge rebel moment to work against my rebel tendency <laughs> by bringing in some structure. And like, it sounds crazy because I know some people live by their schedules and live by time blocking, but it was terrifying to me. So I just like, it's, and it's changed my life. Like I've never been more productive. I've never had more free time. I've never had more clarity um, I recently read James Clear's book, um, Atomic Habits, and he was talking about like creating systems and processes and habits, how it seems scary for some people and how it seems very overwhelming and stifling, like you don't have freedom, but he's like, it's actually gives you more freedom than ever before because you have clarity in what you're doing and the time you're spending and where it's being spent. And I couldn't agree more. Like I finally feel like I have control. And so like working against what my gut was saying was like scary as shit, but I'm so glad I've dove into it, I guess. I love that. I don't think a rebel moment has to be like a specific moment. You know, it's, I think especially with life shifts where you're like going against your own nature, Yeah, <laughs> that's a really hard, usually you're rebelling against someone else, not yourself. So yeah. it's like a whole, whole nother layer of it. I mean, my life is full of rebel moments, but like to rebel against myself is like 
really huge. Well, especially after you've developed like your creative process and you know how you want to dictate your days and everything. So I love that. I actually did this. I'm, I have a different personality type, but I actually did the same thing with my schedule this last year. Um, after attending a leadership summit with beauty counter and it was more so for me about knowing how I was spending my time And so I spent a week blocking out what I was actually doing. And then I was like, I am not doing what I want to do. So instead I, I pulled things out and I blocked out things that I, I, that I did want to do. And it created more free time for me. Yeah. And it's beautiful. And it's so hard, you know, as an entrepreneur and as someone who works from home, it's so difficult to separate. Right. And how many times has your husband asked you, like, are you working right now or are you not? I'm not really sure what's happening. Like yeah. if you're, you know, doing, you're like, a, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> like if you're doing a task on your phone or you're, you know, whatever it is, it's very hard, you know, when you're immersed in social media and your business is online to, to turn things off because everything is ever moving. And so man, like when you mentioned in your stories the other day about turning your phone into do not disturb mode, I've been doing that for probably about three or four weeks now. And it is, I am like productive as F like it, yeah. <laughs> I'm so productive because of that. And it's amazing to just think about, you know, like the pull and tug of other people on your time and yep. it may feel rebellious for you to like block out your schedule, but actually like you're not obliging. You're rebelling against all of these people who have like yeah. pieces of your schedule and you get to decide that. So yeah, I love it. So true. Oh, awesome girl. Well, thank you for being here. Thank you for your time. Thank I feel you. like we're going to have to do like a whole nother episode in the future. Um, about all all of the things because there's still so much that I'd love to talk to you about. So, and I, yeah, and I know I know our listeners would would love to hear more about you know building business and blogging and all of that. And I love love listening to your approach to to food blogging and and your process through that. So we will do that in the future. But thank you so so much for being here, and uh, we'll catch you guys next week. Thanks for joining us today on this episode of Rebel Heart Radio. You can visit our website to submit a question at www.rebelheartradio.com. Or you can hop on our Instagram. You can ask us anything. We love to get to know you guys. Don't forget to subscribe and give us a review on iTunes. And we'll catch you guys on the next episode.